Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's almost the end of pre-season. Yay! And we're back to put the finishing touches to our content in this time uh, with our final pod, pre-game week one of the new season. Yes, summer specials, prize pods, talisman theory, we've done the lot. And to be honest, I just can't wait for it all to get going now. I bet you will on draft you know, 47 or something by this point. And, you know, hopefully this podcast will help you. Oh, actually... 47? What do you take I'm, them for? I'm sure. Well, okay. 447 <laughs> by this point. Um, but hopefully this podcast, at least for the first bit, uh, will take you out to town for a little bit down memory lane and help you relax and enjoy. Although, of course, we'll talk about our squads a little bit as Anthony will come on to in just a moment. We are who got the assist. I'm Tom at WGTA underscore FPL. He's Anthony at FPL Stag. Also on Instagram, WGTA.FPL. Make sure to give us a follow on those channels. Subscribe to our podcast, whatever source you use to get your podcast. And if you've enjoyed this or indeed have enjoyed anything we've done over the last five years and haven't got round to it yet, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen as these are hugely appreciated and help spread the word of the pod. Lead code this year, a partridge-style jingle, um, as Anthony likes to say, to IP43. T. Yep. And we're also on video solidly now. Um, and some of you may be watching this rather than listening. And it'll never replace the audio. But just so you know, it's there in case you want to watch us as well as uh, hear us, warts and all. You can watch me drinking, for example. This beer cast from Tom Campbell, actually, a friend of mine. Search on YouTube to find that video. We were hoping to be joined by Nick today for a return. But as per the reason, actually, he's stepped back this year. He's caught the dreaded tummy bug from his infant son and can't make it today, sadly. We'll try to get him on in the very, very near future. Just to us and Anthony, you're all right. Are you excited about doing the new season or just excited about getting that damn dissertation sent off? Yeah, I think it's more about the thesis. Like I was just saying to myself earlier, it's like how uh, unfair it was that the game, the game week one deadline clashes exactly with the day that I have to submit the thesis. So um, <laughs> for those on the video, they can see that I'm just like slowly but surely growing a beard. And that's mostly because I just don't have the time to shave it <laughs> more than anything else. But anyway, um, yeah, I actually am really looking forward to the season though. Uh, oddly, the Euros feel like they were a long time ago. And so whilst I felt like I'd overdosed on football an awful lot last season and even entering the Euros, 
I'm refreshed all over again, ready to go, which is great. This pod, I guess, it's, it's pretty obvious what we're going to be talking about. It's game week one. Uh, so Tom's actually done a bit of research on historic game week ones and what they look like, which will obviously be very interesting, but it also gives us a chance to have a bit of a trip down memory lane and give us all a bit of a heads up of what we can expect going into this opening round of fixtures and beyond. Second half, we've got a great correspondence coming in. Correspondence is, of course, sent to whogottheassist.gmail.com. This is the first of the season, and that's come in from Ali Asht. And then we're going to pivot to how our actual teams look at this point with not too long to go to the season. But of course, things keep changing. If you were listening last week, there was about a million different things happened within three days of that going live, uh, which meant that the teams that we were talking about at that point had been ripped up. So, you know, there's a bit of a hazard warning attached, but we will give you what we're at right now. Basic thinking behind it, though, is still going to be valid, isn't it? Uh, also worth mentioning here, the market forces will return next week. That's when we look at the movers and shakers after each game week and try to kind of bring that into the analysis, perhaps of you know the question we'll be answering uh, on that first pod. But uh, this pod, final in the preseason, S5D3, the question is, should we expect more goals on game week one? Anthony, I know you've perhaps seen the data here already, so I, I don't want you to ruin it too much, but if... If you hadn't seen it or you know, before you looked at it, how many goals did you think we were going to see on game week one compared to the rest of the season? Do you think there'd be more or less about the same? Do you know, Tom, you've, uh, you've given me more credit. I actually, you showed me the graphic, but I didn't actually look at the numbers. I just looked at the graphic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just like, wow, a graphic. Yeah. Uh, and didn't actually look, take it in. So if I was to say, I would have thought more, you know, the exuberance of the start of the season mixed with just, you know, defences not being on their toes as much, you would have thought it would be a higher scoring game week than any other. Perfect. I mean, uh, Twitter agrees with you, by the way. Um, so I asked Twitter um, a poll earlier on. I said, without cheating, not that anyone was going to be able to cheat because it did take me a long time to do the research. How many goals compared to an average game would you expect to see in game week one of the season? I gave them the same three answers as you, more than usual about the same and fewer goals than usual. About 800 responses, more goals than usual, one out. Uh, 52% of people thought there were more goals than usual in game week one. 28% said about the same. And only about 20% thought there were fewer goals than normal. And what I did really to look over game week one is to go on soccerstats.com and tallied up the goals per season and also derived goals per game week. Um, and then I compared that to game week one goals to find out if this is really true. Because I think in our minds, as Anthony sort of inferred a second ago, we see game week one as a game week full of goals. You know, the excitement, as Anthony mentioned, has been building up ahead of that opener. And that gives way in our heads to memories of a flurry of high scoring matches as the goals fly in throughout the day and the new season gets off to an exhilarating start. What I did this week was basically test that perception. Are more goals really scored on game week one? So starting with last year, 1,024 goals were scored last season, which gives us an average 27 goals per game. Remember that 27, it'll come up again later. Chekhov's gun sort of in there. And 23 goals were scored in game week one. Um, this was a bit of a different game week one, actually, because both Manchester Cubs actually blanked time last year, more on that later. But last season on game week one, Anthony, Mo Salah, hat-trick and a 4-3 win over Leeds, whereas Talisman Theory disciples like myself were stuck on Aubameyang as he did absolutely nothing except sort of nick a goal towards the end of the 3-0 victory for Arsenal over Fulham. Elsewhere, there are two goals from the penalty spot for Jamie Vardy. Remember, Nick had him in his team. He was raving the first kind of game week that he'd got two goals from 0.0 NPXG. And uh, Wilson scored against West Ham. He plays West Ham again, game week one this year. Memories of last season, Anthony, how did game week one go for you? It went well because I captained Salah, and that's pretty much the the key determinant for that game week. So I I had 79 points. Uh, I think what really stood out to me was something that came up when we were doing our season reviews afterwards. It turned out that was the biggest captain haul I got all season. 
So that, oh, that was the day I should have used my triple captainship <laughs> as it transpired. <laughs> and so that was actually the, the point that really stuck with me. I guess looking at my own team, like I got 79 points and it was a good, strong opening week. But it was very interesting to see that, you know, the likes of Timo Werner were in our sides. He wouldn't be there at all now. And actually James Justin was in my initial squad. And he, of course, proved himself to be a hero for people. And he was kind of that cheap defender who emerged in the final weeks of preseason and made his way into teams. And of course, we're, we'll discuss a few of those later, but, you know, Chimikas, for example, has become that, or even at Leicester again, Dan Marty. We're starting to see that emerge and, you know, there's always one. Definitely is. I also had James Justin. I remember I called it actually the James Justin setup because I had uh, Reese James as well. And I got 71 points last year, game week one, mainly due to the fact that Reese James scored a screamer uh, in that Chelsea game and he got me up to 74 points I benched Martial so the whole team was kind of around having that sort of Man United player to come in for game week two should the captain Salah but I was too into talisman theory and I was, also, I was also let down by being too differential so I actually went for Richarlison over Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison actually cost 0.5 more so I made kind of a change as well to make that work I also started with, with Kai Havertz um, to your uh, burner point there Anthony but I did actually move him on the next game week to Hammers uh, for a nice little boon well, okay, so that's last year. As I mentioned, 1,024 goals scored, 27 goals per game, but only 27 goals per game average, but only 23 goals in game week one. 1920, 1034 goals scored, so 10 goals more than last year. Again, 27 goals per game week uh, was the average. And game week one, the average was that magic 27. Down memory lane uh, that year, Sterling uh, hit a hat-trick as City beat West Ham 5-0. United beat Chelsea 4-0 to kick off Frank Lampard's reign with a plomb. <laughs> Alisson went off injured for Liverpool in the 4-1 win. Timu Puki uh, scored a goal past Adrian, and we all thought that that probably should have been saved. And this was kind of a, the season where big at the back really took hold. Um, I actually started with 78 points that season. That's my best game week one since WGCA began. Um, I had Nick Pope in goal. I had Sterling on as my vice. I had Captain Salah, who uh, got, did get 12 points. And I started with Wilson and Fraser. Uh, Wilson got an assist that game. And I remember he went on to get five assists in a row or something strange like that. Um, but elsewhere, you know, cleans for the likes of Luca Dean, Trent. Uh, looking at this team, I'm struck by the fact that many of the players that we're still considering today are still in that team. And that's like two years ago. So, you know, things do move slower than you think. And you know, having Trent and Robertson up until really recently, where it was in a lot of drafts, and having indeed Trent, Robertson and Salah as the threesome uh, was definitely in many drafts. Um, although you wouldn't be buying Jose Perez like I did back then. I'd Nick completely for that. A long-term distance, know what I mean. Anthony, what about your memories? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one looking at that one because I, I didn't have the big score that year. I didn't have Sterling. And in, in my tweet summarising my results that the, the week after that, I just said, no Sterling, WTF was I doing? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so I got, I ended up with 61 points. What I actually ended yeah. up doing, and I think this is really indicative and something that people should be bearing in mind as they put their squads together now, is I tried to differentiate myself from the template too much. And I ended up with two no-shows in my game week one squad. Oh, really? Bernardo Silva didn't play. So, you know, it's that playing, <laughs> played Pepper Let and lost. This was the, you see, this was coming off the year where he was particularly brilliant. Mm. You know, it's like he's really, he's really come off in the last two seasons since then. But at that point, he was seen yeah, as, no, he really was. as okay, important, no, perhaps, as, you know, uh, David Silva and KDB to that midfield. And then Trossard was the other one who, you know, he was just into the league at that point. No one had ever owned him before. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that, that stinks of trying to be too clever. And it went poorly. And uh, to be perfectly honest with you, people who are thinking about getting Trossard in now because Brighton's fixtures are 
pretty good. Don't. <laughs> it's right. the same reason. So that's actually my overriding memory looking at that. I ended up with 61 points and it actually just precipitated a disastrous season. Right. But it does show you, I guess, how important sometimes getting that initial uh, haul is that, you know, I had Salah at the start of last season. It went well for me the season before that. I didn't have Sterling <laughs> and I started just, I took, I took a minus eight the next week. <laughs> like it was yeah, a complete disaster. Yeah. And so, yeah, trying too hard. It definitely can happen. Moving back further to 2018-19, there are actually more goals scored that season than the previous two. Uh, 1,072 goals were scored, and that pushed up the um, average goals per game, which is 28-1 from 27. And uh, 25 goals were scored at that game week one. At memory lane again, uh, Salah got the opener for Liverpool in a 4-0 win. Uh, Daniel Sturridge scored the fourth goal in that. I was surprised to see that. That's just 2018-19. So just 2018, three years ago. Uh, Maurizio Sarri, Chelsea, uh, beat Huddersfield 3-0. And N'Golo Kante delighted the less engaged managers because he scored in game week one. And Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser both scored in Bournemouth's 2-0 win over Cardiff. Wilson also assisted Fraser just to set up that ridiculous double they had that year. And Arsenal were beaten 2-0 by Manchester City. Jumping off what you were saying earlier on, Anthony, Sterling and Bernardo Silva scored and both were assisted by a certain Benjamin Mendy. Yeah, uh, I got 62 points actually that year. I had Mendy for his brace of assists. I had Bilver as well, but I didn't have Kuniguero. Um, I actually went for a Bamyang over him. And I also benched a 4.0 man called Aaron Wambasaka for 12 points. I think loads of people actually did. Um, but nonetheless, uh, what actually would happen uh, going forward was the game week one was okay. The 62 was, was kind of fine. I think, I think kind of the average was around sort of 56. But no Aguero really killed me because game week two, he scored a hat-trick versus Huddersfield. Remember the famous Jamie Jackson moment? I didn't own him. What about you, Anthony? Do you remember much about that year? So I can't actually get my actual score, but I managed to find the team that I had, which is just kind of typical of just erratic Twitter style. What I distinctly remember most looking at my team is that was the year we thought Pedro could cover Hazard. And oh. I had Pedro <laughs> in my team. Oh, wow. And I think that's, but that again is quite instructive for now because people are thinking about can Greenwood cover Bruno? Can Jota cover Salah? You know, these discussions haven't ended. And it's so funny that there was a year where I probably got burnt by that over the next few weeks. I did have Aguero, so I did have that. I did have Mendy, so I did get that brace of assists as well. And I did have Wambasaka on the bench as well. <laughs> so I don't know how I did, but I have an awful lot of similarities. I had Josh King instead of Callum Wilson. I presume that was a problem. Okay, interesting. And the final season I'll talk about in detail, just because that was the year WTA started, is 2017-18. So 10-18 goals were scored that season, a much lower number of goals uh, than the previous uh, three seasons we've looked at. There were still 27 goals scored per game week. And on game week one, 31 goals were scored. 3% of the total goals for the year. That's the highest percentage of goals scored on game week one of the last four seasons, and indeed any of the seven seasons I've looked at here. On that day, Arsenal and Leicester smashed out a seven-goal thriller. There was a dramatic winner for Olivier Giroud in the 90th minute. Jamie Vardy scored a brace. He continued his amazing record against Arsenal. An unknown player uh, to making his debut scored for Liverpool. His name was Mo Salah. Um, Romelu Lukaku uh, scored a brace for United in Mourinho's first game. Got his manager's reign off to a flyer in a 4-0 win over West Ham. There was a pair of assists for Mkhitaryan in that game. And Phil Jones started at centre-back, surprisingly costing just 4.5 and uh, it was the beginning of the end as well for Antonio Conte at Chelsea as they succumbed to a shock 3-2 defeat to Burnley on the opening day of the season 
I scored 72 points that year. Um, and this was it's actually a fairly memorable game week one because this was, this was the first season of WGTA. And I remember that sort of game week um, pretty clearly. I remember uh, like Klasnach getting an assist and being in the middle of nowhere. Because I remember we did the prospects and the prospects on him. And that was the first kind of article I wrote. And I was really excited because he was so far forward the whole time. And my team basically, Rob Elliott in goal, Bertrand, Craig Dawson, and Klasnach was my back three. Kevin De Bruyne, Salah, Fraser and Willian was my midfield. And then Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku was my captain. He got 26 points. So that brace was just amazing. I remember I was in the service station, refueling the car when it went in. I jumped for joy. I was also jumping for joy because I knew Nick had captain Kane and he blanked. So this was back in the he doesn't score in August phase. And I also had backstabby Adini in my team. I think that Southampton started off fairly well. That's why I've got Bertrand and the Gabby Adini. But I mean, this is kind of when we start getting back to the midst of time, looking at my list of players. Like on my bench, for example, I had uh, Julian Sproni, Tom Carroll, Marcus Sutner and Connor Goldson, those Brighton legends. So yeah, 72 points I got that year. I think that's my highest rank from game week one during the time in WTA, which is the first ever game we were in WTA. 727k I got from that. So yeah, I've had a very middling sort of time since we've been live doing game week one so stretching back for time I think mostly I've kind of hit 70-ish uh, Anthony what do you remember about um, that particular game week one? I captained Lukaku and that's definitely the point that stands out to me um, when I think back I also had Kalasanak I think he'd become a real Twitter favourite at that point that year kind of in the same way that the likes of Shaw and Dean are being discussed yeah. now he really had that I, I think he was um, more neat I, I, was he that like I, obviously I can't remember what the ownership data was but like was he that big? Was he niche or was he like huge? Because Twitter was a lot smaller. It was a village back then rather than the city it is today, if that makes sense. Myself and the fellow villagers, I think, definitely were uh, picking Kolasinac in our wattle and daub huts at the at that time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I was there as well. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, yeah. I was building my hut on the outskirts. Yeah, that was the year. That, yeah, exactly. We were inside the, in the city walls there at the time. The likes of Cedric and Gabbiadini featured in my game week one team that time. And that was when we thought Southampton A were good and they had a good run of fixtures that caught everyone off guard. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember that, that that proved to be a problem as the weeks went by. Uh, I started off with your man Ince from Huddersfield, whose name I forgot. Oh, Paul Ince's Ince. son. Thomas Ince, yeah. Oh, his wow. underlying data had been so good in the championship. That is, that is yeah. The shades well, of Ismail Asar to Jerome that. Jerome sort of character. He was two <laughs> championship and not good enough for the Premier League. Yeah, more on him later, Cameron Jerome. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, as we go back in game week ones, I also had Pascal Gross in my team. But I remember I'd done um, quite a few articles in that preseason looking ahead. And both Gross and Sutner had arrived from Ingolstadt, I'm quite sure, to Brighton. And both of their stats had been particularly good. So Sutner actually started that game week on my bench a bit like yourself. But Gross yeah. started for me. And that turned out to be like a real coup because that was the season that he kind of made his name and he hasn't yeah. reached those heights again since, but it was it was a huge one for him at the time. But there you go, that was that was that week for me. Fair enough. No, Pascal Gross, I remember that he created more chances for relegated English stat than Messer Ozil did in the Premier League um yeah. the same year. And yep. that was one of the things I found in Prospects and the Prospects, so, which was a, a nice memory of spending all my time sweating over releasing articles quicker than the scout could. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, Sorry, a bit of a memory with the, with yeah, the Pascal Gross thing. I have to say this one. I have a friend of a, in my college house at the time. Um, my friends started playing FPL just because, you know, I was talking about it so much that they felt it was just a good way to <laughs> just like keep me talking. So they were, they 
made teams and uh, came they around want, with me they and they wanted read. to actively keep you talking yes this is, yeah this is coming from a man who says he talks too much as being a, a yeah a, an <laughs> character. and yeah and uh, well they decided that they wanted to keep me talking about fpl for whatever reason they drew it upon themselves were they so, like doing them horrible in... things in your bedroom while no no to one of them? was it like <laughs> no, a rotor in... system where they would go and have a poo, <laughs> have a poo in your bed or something you <laughs> no and in, in fairness what it was is that one of my housemates the three of us were very into football and then one wasn't whatsoever and he wanted to get into football and he was using fpl as a proxy for doing that Right. And so he, it's him in particular who made a team, but he then insisted we make a league to try and keep himself involved. And so this meant that they all got involved in FPL and I ended up, of course, being the one who was writing about it and was the one who was discussing it. But because I'd recommended Pascal Gross so highly, they all jumped on the Gross bandwagon. And a few weeks into term, this friend who had no interest in football, he was checking his score in a lecture and someone who knew football looked over his shoulder and was like, how do you have Pascal Gross? What? This is ridiculous. Like no one's heard of him. And uh, my friend was explaining how he'd been reading my articles that I picked out gross. And he'd gone, he'd gone well ahead in like all of our college leagues and stuff based on the picks that I had been suggesting, but hadn't actually taken up myself in my own articles. And um, so, yeah, uh, listen to yourself and don't start to doubt yourself is the story for that particular game we go on. Or listen to your flatmate who's into FPL. But who doesn't play. listen to himself. Yeah. <laughs> fair play, fair play. <laughs> right. Well, as you've kind of heard, the last few years, the average goals per game which around 27 or so um, and game week one it's veered between 23 and 31 um, I've actually got data for three more years so 2016-17 10-64 goals scored average uh, goals per game of about 28 same for game week one 2015-16 10-26 goals per score 27 again uh, that's the mode amount of goals scored per game week 27 and actually 30 goals were scored that game week one and 2014-15 uh, 975 goals only were scored I think that's the first time in many years uh, from where I've looked back to but less than a thousand goals were scored in the season quite a fallow season uh, but still 26 goals were scored per game week and 26 goals were scored in game week one any other memories of those times Anthony? 2016-17, I did my driving test the day that the season started. That was, a, that was a big memory for me. So I remember I rushed through my draft and ran out the door for the test. But 2015 was the year that I started with Cameron Jerome. And he became a massive problem for me for weeks then because he was Cameron Jerome, who wasn't up to the Premier League. I also remember uh, in 2015, my big fear was going with Lukaku. If I put him into my team, it was too big of a risk so I decided to go for the safe option quote-unquote which was uh, Benteke who was at the time at Liverpool and I'd captained Rooney against Tottenham it, it wasn't a particularly good week but it kind of tells you the hilarious types of dilemmas we had at the time I doubled up on Arsenal as well Ozil and Walcott together and I think that worked out quite well that year yeah no, there's definitely a time when those sort of things are all viable I, I looked through basically my camera roll and my phone from that time and anybody who plays FBL will have a camera roll like this where you can look through this team that was on there from what I can tell we all captains I wasn't on Twitter at that point we all captained Aguero uh, that game we won Sunderland at home I, I've also got uh, John Stones in here um, I've got um, the likes of Van Dyke, um, who was at Southampton time at home to Watford uh, Luke Shaw uh, who away at uh, Bournemouth and they also have Jamie Vardy and Firmino that uh, was midfielder at that point uh, so I've got him in there as well they played Arsenal game week one lots of really strange sort of things going on but anyway looking back over the last seven seasons let's look at the average goals per season the average goals per game week per season and the game week one goal score just to see whether more goals are indeed scored in game week one the average is this through the last seven seasons there have been 
1,030 goals scored on average. Goals per game week on average, 27. And in game week one, an average of 27 goals scored. So are more goals scored in game week one? No. There aren't more goals scored per game. However, I know some people will point out that we're a couple of goals down a couple of games down and goals down indeed uh, for last season. So I've actually done this again to include the games that were meant to be in game week one last time out, which were City versus Villa and United versus Burnley. Uh, City beat Villa 2-0 and United beat Burnley 1-0. It's brought up, obviously, the number of goals that were scored in game week one for 2020-21. And we've got to get into decimal places. It's still kind of 27-27. But if you added the three goals that were scored by City and United last year in the makeup fixtures for game week one, we actually do get a slight, slight shift. So 0.45 more goals are scored per game in game week one than game week two. Um, over the last seven seasons, if you add in those three goals, I think if you t- take them out, I think it comes out as 0.02 more or something like that. I was about to say, game week one, 0.2% more exciting than your average game week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I think you, know, you round down 0.45, don't you? So I, I think that the answer is still no, sadly. Um, there aren't more goals scored in game week one. Um, and I think that there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but I think that probably the key one is availability heuristic, which we spoke about in the psychology pod. That's where we tend to use the more retrievable memories we have to form our perceptions. And, um, you know, the outcomes I mentioned, the games that I ran through, they're noticeable. They're the ones that I picked out. So I've fallen prey to this as well, because I've picked out the games as examples to speak about here that I remember there were goals scored, you know, the 4-3 against Leicester. I remember that. And that mixed with our game with one memories tending to be probably favourable. Maybe there's kind of a self-serving bias thing there. We want to put, put on a brave face about the start of our season. Would probably be why we try we kind of overestimate the number of goals scored in game week one, how exciting game week one is. There's obviously that excitement as well, which can moderate things. But it's kind of actually quite an average sort of game week in a lot of ways. Anthony, what do you reckon about that? Has that um, exploded some perceptions of yours? It probably hasn't exploded them, but it has, you know, likely dented them. Uh, for sure (laughs) disabuse you of a few perceptions yeah exactly Um, I think more than anything it's it's what I do um, and what you've already done to be honest is I think back to the the psychology summer special and I think that it really is just that availability heuristic of just like oh I can think of those first game weeks because um, so many of them happened on days that are entirely memorable for me there was a driving test there was a day that I was um, traveling somewhere there was a day a family member died it's just like yeah it's just like it's just kind of it seems like it seems to clash with an awful lot of things that occur in my life and this year it's going to be you know the one where I was submitting my thesis so it's like every single year the game week one clashes with something that makes it entirely memorable uh, on top of the fact that it is memorable in and of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I did do a, a little bit more research on this, actually, um, a few other kind of bits and pieces. I didn't go through the rest of the season um, on these because, frankly, I didn't have the time. Um, but I did look at a few other bits and pieces in terms of game week one. Um, so I guess the kind of the first thing um, is, well, when I was running this analysis, um, I was looking at the number of goals scored home versus away on game week one. Anthony, which way do you think it goes? Um, who, wh- where do you think more goals are scored? Oh, uh, I'm going to say just like play the average and say it's... It, it actually is uh, away, mostly. And oh. Last season particularly was, was crazy. Um, eight goals were scored at home. 18 goals were scored away. And overall, it's sort of 
works out slightly in a way's favour. So 12 goals on average are scored at home, 15 goals are scored away from home in terms of last seven seasons, uh, in terms of uh, game week ones. Uh, next bit. Uh, I looked at nil-nils, clean sheets, and more than four goals scored per game, just to kind of give us a bit more kind of points of interest. Uh, nil-nils, Anthony, how many do you reckon we see on game week one normally, on an average? One. Yep, you're about right. It's one, exactly. And uh, and actually, the mode answer is zero. Four out of seven in the last seven seasons, there have been no clean sheets on game week one. But yeah, very, very few nil-nils, just the one basically on average. And, and that's kind of a very, very kind of slight one. That's a rounded up one. Double up on those Liverpool defenders, guys. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> on Shimmy Cass. Uh, clean sheets. How many clean sheets do you reckon we see, Anthony? Um, three. No, we see a lot. Yeah. yeah. So think about it. It's not, we see actually quite a, a lot of imbalanced results on game week one. And this actually is a quite an interesting finding, right? uh, beyond kind of the fact that there are not more goals scored in game one than normal. So over the last four seasons, since 2017 18 to 2019 20, 20, seven clean sheets uh, were kept protectively, uh, seven clean sheets in a row. And last season's uh, game one, there were eight clean sheets. And um, normally the average is six clean sheets on game week one. So there are going to be clean sheets, and some of the games are going to be fairly one-sided in terms of how things go out but yeah that surprised me because I thought there was going to be like like, like 2016-17 and there was only one kind of clean sheet but over the last four years the mode amount of clean sheets has been seven and so there are a lot of clean sheets uh, that are on offer uh, for that last year for example there was there was no, there were no nil nils but there are eight clean sheets so there's a real sort of disparity of some teams do keep you know a lot of teams do keep clean sheets on game week one which which is kind of surprising that kind of flies in the face of that idea that you know defense is going to be less ready things are going to be sort of less solid that goals can be flown due to acceleration no no there are clean sheets at least on one side of the equation uh, the final thing four plus goals scored in the game how many games do you reckon there can be more than four goals scored in the game anthony um, I think this could be a pretty big number based on what we've seen. Uh, I'm going to go with four. Close, three. So yeah, the average is three over the last seven seasons. Last year, only two. But I mean, the mode is still four. Um, so four happened on a couple of occasions. In 2015-16, there were five. So yeah, quite an interesting sort of set of results from looking at other Game Week 1 info. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to compare this to totals throughout the course of the season. Two to 38 of the course of the, the, the seasons because that would have taken me bloody ages, frankly. Um, uh, but yeah, um, you know, home and away um, goals, you tend to get more away goals 15 to 12 um, on average you tend to get one nil nil uh, per game week one you tend to get six clean sheets per game week one but in recent years it's been seven to eight and you tend to get three games in which there are four plus goals scored but remember game week one is pretty much bang on average for goals per game week so there you go it's not actually as exciting and high scoring as you think uh, which again yeah. lends itself to that ability heuristic idea yeah, one thing I would say, I guess, with there tending to be more away goals, like last year really threw out the average substantially with, uh, I think it was 18 away goals and eight home goals. And that, you know, that did obviously knock it out quite a bit. And that had the behind closed doors yeah, element absolutely. that we didn't I, I deal with. That's, and that's massive. Remember, I remember in the first few weeks of last season, there were all, there was an awful lot of discussions about how teams were still kind of trying to get used to playing behind closed doors. Of course, there had been um, Project Restart, but it, it, it wasn't quite the same, that there was all these blowouts happening. And then slowly but surely, I think things took on a more predictable bent, but certainly not early on in the season. Yeah, I think that, that is probably what's behind last year's data. Um, obviously, I've thrown in the both Manchester clubs' data in that sort of, you know, the rest of things that happen in game week one. Um, but even though, even so, that, there's only three goals 
one goal, I think it was at home, and two goals away. So yeah. it didn't change the story that much. And But I think you're right. There was definitely kind of a case of COVID equalising that sort of home advantage that we could see a little bit. Um, but it's not kind of as pronounced as you might think. And basically for game week one, in contrast to game week 38, remember at the end of last year, we did the podcast on that and we showed there were more goals per uh, game week um, scored in game week 38 than any other game week of the season, just because things are mad, things are you know crazy. We don't quite see that in game week one. We see it being quite a level week. We see it being quite a balanced week. But we live in hope. Perhaps this game week one will be the game week one where we all get 100 plus and it all goes absolutely mad. But actually, no, normally that is game week 38, not the opening game week. Cool. Um, I think the final kind of bit here to talk through um, just before we move on to the break is some key tips for game week one, um, just because obviously it's, it's all over everywhere. I know you've got all the basic stuff in your minds by now, um, but I mean, do we have any sort of, you know, next level tips for people um, beyond the usual sort of, you know, do your own research, mate, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I've got a couple uh, from my own perspective. Number one for me is step away from your tinker, from all socials, all voices uh, about kind of Wednesday and have a think about what you think is best before game week one. It kind of like do your own research, but more about giving yourself headspace. Uh, that's key. I know it sounds a bit kind of you know, qualitative, a bit fluffy, but I think you need to be comfortable with and own the decisions you make because I think that's going to be kind of really key to how you judge that kind of opening game week's outcome, especially if you're in the case like I am now. If it's the case where you've kind of heard everything, you've seen everything, you've read everything and you need some time to let it marinate, consciously make that time to let that kind of marinate, percolate and then make those decisions on your own without anybody else kind of looking at your team and kind of trust yourself. Um, that sounds very, again, quite fluffy, but trust yourself to kind of make the right decisions for game week one. Um, and you can't have them all is the second thing that I would just point out here quickly. There's always going to be someone who you've missed out <laughs> who will score. And at this point, unless you've stayed untinkered by some miracle, there's always going to be someone you're emotionally exposed to in an OMG, I had him, and he's just on a banger uh, sort of way. Just roll with it. It happens. And just, as I said, link to number one, back your own research and make sure you kind of sit there and do your own thinking um, ahead of uh, everything going mad around Thursday and Friday. Like if you're sat there kind of on Thursday night, still making changes, indeed during Friday, still making changes, then... Yeah, that's not a good place to be. I'd like to be settled by Thursday, uh, if I possibly can. Anthony? Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing at that last point in particular. I'm, I'm thinking that there's going to be an awful lot of press conferences that people are going to want to listen to this year that are going to really oh, be true. decisive when it comes to their picks. Um, so that, that's going to be quite hard. So best of luck to people. I would love to have my decisions made on Thursday, but I am fully sure that I'm going to be tinkering on Friday afternoon. It will be to my detriment, of course. There are a few seasons where I've definitely been burnt by late tinkering with game week one, but I'm not going to learn any lesson on that. I mean, I, I, um, just, wonder, I just wonder though, like, Maybe it'll be something like Shimakas, or maybe it'll be something like you know Harry Kane coming back. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's, it's actually like in my experience of past game week ones. Although I completely get your point, in my experience of past game week ones, that sort of press conference has only served to put in doubt the players who are already in doubt and kind of make you think, well. All right, we always have like a lean towards players who are nailed, who are stable. It always kind of entrenches where I already was. Those press conferences, like it's very rare you'll hear like, you know, a shock injury because that is a shock. And of course you make those that that change. But normally you, you're not going to hear something like, yeah, you know what? Nathan Redmond's now my number nine. 
Uh, but this doesn't happen very often, I don't think, at those late press conferences. I mean, maybe there's a couple of players' fitness you're sweating on. But to be honest, if, you, if you're sweating on the players' fitness, you probably would have taken them out anyway. Is it okay? Yeah, that's fair enough. But I'm thinking more about, okay, with someone like Shimikas, which is the classic, I think, is going to be the one that a lot of people are going to be listening into. It's how long is Robertson going to be out? If he's going to be out for six game weeks, I think he's pretty much going to be a shoe-in for an awful lot of teams. If we get something from Klopp like Robertson will miss a couple of weeks, for example, the feelings will be very different. And I think that's the sort of decision that people will make that can back themselves into a cul-de-sac and it affects how they spread their value across their whole entire team, like substantially. And I think that's more what I'm getting at with that. Sure. To be continued in a little bit. Any last gasp tips for you? Don't get burnt by overcomplicating it and putting players in who aren't guaranteed starters. Like that, that year that I was discussing where I had Bernardo Silva and Trossard in my side is a classic example of like really, really overcomplicating things for the sake of it and just being burnt. And I, I really think this year, for example, with, you know, okay, Diogo Jota in and of himself, not a huge risk. Him and another two or three players who kind of fall into that same certainty bracket probably too much of a risk you know it's like very quickly you'll be relying on your 4.0 defender to get you some appearance points because you've missed two or three starters and that's not good (laughs) that's that's I guess the situation that I kind of hope to avoid also don't get swindled by championship records just too much you know Tony fine but then don't start putting in your sire and doubling up on the Watford defence because they were historically good last season yeah, and having Alter and Trusty Kong are my uh, defensive duo du jour here we go you see it's like at that point just pick the Brighton ones you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. well I mean I mean, there are loads of other things we could say I'm sure you've all got them on board now for listening to WCA particularly um, but I mean I hope that that was an interesting look uh, down memory lane as I said actually it's not that high scoring game at one compared to your average bear, sadly. But there are um, you know, a lot of clean sheets kept, so something to bear in mind. All right, let's take a break there, Anthony, and we'll move on uh, to the correspondence in Macy's return uh, just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and uh, we're getting into the second half of the pod. Normally, uh, as this will be, we do the correspondence going into listeners' questions. Uh, this week, we're going to do the correspondence and go into kind of some chat around their own teams. Uh, but this, the final preseason pod before game week one, um, our correspondence question is very nicely sort of pivoted um, into that sort of link. Um, and it comes, doesn't it, Anthony, via email? It does, yes. The correspondence section, for those that are new and for those who just want a bit of reminding, is the section where you can deliver your long-form thoughts, your addendums, your poetry, just your old questions to us at who got the assist at gmail songs even yeah we'll literally take any type of content that you want to send to who got the assist at gmail.com or other ways if you need to dm us to get videos or songs to us we'll work out a way to make that happen too but who got the assist at gmail.com is the email for sending on your correspondence with anything and ollie asht who did get in contact with us last year as well with some correspondence is back with this particular piece of correspondence so without further ado let's get straight into it Hi guys, I hope that you're having a great summer so far. Thanks, Ollie, we are. I've just finished listening to your first podcast of the 2021-2022 season. It inspired me to write in with the following question for the podcast. Should we consider spreading our cash and going for a more balanced game week one team? Since FPL has relaunched, I've noticed the typical template of a strong starting 11 and a mediocre but acceptable bench starting to form. If you go for a more balanced approach, could this help to adopt to the emerging template at the start of the season? 
Focusing on the starting 11 quickly felt so rigid last time out for me, as I had both Trent and Robbo. When it didn't work out, all that cash locked up in defence made it harder to get onto players that I really wanted. Also, so far I've not seen anyone comment on how the coronavirus pandemic could still affect the upcoming season. Could this further strengthen the strategy of a stronger overall team, not limiting yourself to a particular formation and, I guess, a particular 11? I appreciate all the work that you do and look forward to your exciting preseason content. That content has passed, but you should go back to it, guys. It's all the summer specials. There's three of them and you'll enjoy them. Uh, many thanks, Oliver. Yeah, summarized on screen uh, and summarized as should we consider uh, spreading our cash and looking for a more balanced game at one team? And supplementary question what lingering impacts could coronavirus have on the upcoming season? So in terms of, you know, the, the, the balancing sort of question that Ollie mentions, um, obviously Ollie wrote in before everything we know now, um, but it's a proper evergreen question. So one that we should probably just go into and a nice one for this particular podcast. Try to balance risk. That's a fairly obvious piece of advice. But maybe if I was looking at the game week one profile alone, based on the data that I just presented, um, if I was going to target one game week, I might do something like having a more targeted, aggressive side, i.e. kind of, you know, weighting my team towards a few teams um, because of the fact there are more clean sheets. The key thing I've been looking at throughout this preseason, though, uh, to bite into Oliver's main point around flexibility, is that I'm going to try to, have some cash in the bank i think when we start this season Phil, there are a few facts about um seasons in general and one in particular about this season uh, that makes having that extra flexibility with cash in the bank um a potential advantage so three things that i kind of noted in kind of response to oliver's question were uh, one always remember that 0.1 uh, million rise is actually equal to 0.5 million rise at the start of the year that's kind of the maximum of how it works so if a player does rise 0.1 after game week one that's similar to 0.5 because everybody is in neat 0.0 to 0.5s and 0.1 million rise can leave you snookered and potentially need you to downgrade uh, for a price bracket if a must-have player emerges pretty quickly think about you know dominic calvert lewin last season there's also incomers. Um, so, you know, we were just chatting uh, in the break and you know, the, the transfer merry-go-round is still in motion. I'm sure I'm going to mention this in a minute, but, you know, the forwards in particular, Lukaku in to shake things up for Chelsea, you know, Kane to City, um, who the Spurs replace Kane with, and will it be Son or will it be you know, Lotoro Martinez is being mentioned. Again, I could date this pod, but hey, whatever, we'll go with it. And the third thing, um, which is pretty particularly pertinent to this season, I'm sure it may have happened in seasons past, but, in our analysis of the price pod last week, uh, we kind of noted that, you know, there are lots of um, key positions where there are prices which are hedged. So in the support mids and support strikers, so 6.5 to 7.5 midfielders and uh, the striker 7.5 to 8, um, they're dime a dozen, aren't they? And they feel like a ticking time bomb in some ways. Any of them could go off at any time. And I'm increasingly convinced that having cash in the bank could really help you to move if you need to quickly um, without taking hits. Um, I'm also thinking of game week two here uh, with Man City playing Norwich and the inevitable collective pooing of pants uh, that a Man City player um, doing anything game week one is going to have as an impact ahead of that fixture. So people are going to be like, oh, you know, he scored in game week one. He's got Norwich in game week two. Oh, bye, bye, bye. Mares, Gundogan, um, whatever uh, so yeah those things in mind in particular number three uh, make me think it's worth kind of having a bit of cash in reserve at the start of the season kind of uh, to answer that kind of should we spread um our kind of our 
our uh, picks point and I think it was all about flexibility so I think that's kind of how it sort of works I mean we'll come do you have an current... aim for how much cash you're hoping to keep yeah I, mean, I will come on to it in my team uh, just in a little bit but I think just having kind of one even 0.5 like just a tiny bit in the in the bank to help you over that 0.1 equals 0.5 hurdle would be a good thing to do we'll come on to corona in just a second but I mean Anthony about the kind of initial sort of point around spreading what do you think See, I, I think what this question really boils down to is where you spread it. Ollie was discussing how he felt he was quite um, trapped or hemmed in by having the two premium defenders at such expensive prices last season. And there were quite a lot of us who had that problem. Um, and I think that's a problem that you could have really if you have, let's say, three defenders who are 6.0 plus. The thing is, is I think the Robertson injury reduces the chances that people are going to find themselves in that position. And there's going to be an awful lot of managers with, let's say, a TAA, maybe then a 6.0 character. But I don't think you're going to find yourself with anyone who's yeah. got so much in defense that they're not at transfer away from getting out of that problem. Yeah, that's why I approached it, how I approached it. Fair. But I'm, I'm, I guess what you're also, though, if you balance up your team, what you're doing is you are intentionally setting out to give yourself a bench headache in either midfield or forward every single week that you're talking about putting, having three forwards who are in that 6.5-ish category. There's kind of like 6.5 to 8 would pretty much buy you most forwards that people want at the moment. So you'd have, are you talking about having three of those? Um, that can be difficult, especially if you're, balance, you're trying to make quite a strong midfield as well that has, let's say, Nobody in the 4.5 category, but two, if not three players in that 5.5 to 7.0 bracket, um, which is quite congested with interesting picks. You know, your your SARS, your ESRs, your Willocks, etc. Rafinha being obviously the most obvious of all of them. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just how much you want to accept giving yourself that headache. Um, I personally think that you try and pick the team that will score you the most in the first three weeks. And from there, negotiate your way out of it and possibly wildcard your way out of it if you feel the need to, rather than just spreading the money for the sake of it. Like, I feel like, okay, pick your team so that you know you're going to have enough players to get you through and don't do what I did a few years ago and have <laughs> the likes of Bernardo Silva and, and Trossard in your side or too many of those types of characters. Yeah. But um, just try to avoid a situation where you back yourself into a complete corner with where your budget is allocated. Um, but at the same time, uh, spreading your money around too much probably pinches you too much. So like, there's nothing wrong with having a 4.5 midfielder and a 4.0 defender, for example, your Shimikas or a Marty, for example, even both of them, to be honest. Like, I think if you have, if you're if you're confident that you have eleven start players that are starting and you have one decent bench option going into these first few weeks and you plan to wildcard your way out of it or have you know some other plan to get away from it, I think that's probably fine. It should be fine. I think this links into kind of the whole price points team composition sort of thing that we've heard in recent years that you need to occupy every price point to make sure that you're able to move around, jump around, doesn't it? Yeah, but but do you? You know, like, the game yeah, isn't no, really. I, yeah, I, you see, this is the thing. Yeah, no, I know you. I know you're not. But like, uh, I'm. I'm getting at the point. Like, do you really like what you need to do is get points? Uh, and like, whilst that's a very reductive thing to say, I think sometimes people kind of when they're building teams forget about that. And you know, plan your way through 
just one, you know, three, four game weeks and just figure yourself out from there. I really think it's futile to do anything else. The fact of the matter is, and we were we were kind of hinting at it a second ago, the dominoes are about to fall, for example, in transfers across Europe when it comes to forwards. There's going to be all sorts of movements, which means that you're going to want to get players into your side. City, inevitably, we're going to figure out who we think is nailed. You're going to want to get them into your team. Uh, Sancho is probably going to become a very active option at Manchester United, which he isn't right now because he's only just returned to training with them. And so all these different things are going to play into, play into it. So it's inevitable that you're going to feel quite hemmed in with whatever team you pick right now. Yeah. And I don't think spreading around or even saving a 0.5 or a 1, to be honest, Tom, kind of gets you out of that hole. Like, I feel like at the end of the day, you, you, you're trying to... It's, it's, a, it's a hole that you need a digger to fill, not a shovel. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think there are still lots of, as you mentioned, lots of Rumsfeldian known unknowns um, in terms of how things could shake out. I think the solution to that sort of situation is to kind of have players who are kind of you know, clear bench fodder and kind of you have your clear 11. And I think that having that cash in the bank, it's still quite useful because oh, maybe you will move players on. So maybe, you know, you can treat players like you know, Son, we both got, spoilers. Um, you, know, you treating him as a cash cow, for example, could be something you would do. But no, I, I, completely, I completely take your point. I think that that's a, a really good way of looking at it, that actually, you know, you are going to have to kind of model through to some extent, uh, from game week three, because you know you can you, the the best plans of mice and men gang after Glay, um, as a great man once wrote, and uh, perhaps it's the same for FPL managers every year that you you start off with the greatest plans in the world, um, but actual events will throw them off course and you into a tailspin very quickly. So, for me, having that insurance policy with a bit of cash in the bank and a bit of flexibility is quite useful. But no, I see, I see where you're coming from. I think I need to nail my point home a little bit further and you've kind of given me the ammo to do so. You know, talking about Son as a cash cow is the perfect example. Because my money isn't spread out, I can get another premium midfielder. Realistically, what I'm going to be wanting to rip up my team for is either a premium forward or a premium midfielder. It's, it's unlikely to be anything else. And when I have that money already in a premium, it's one transfer if it's, you know, if it's in the same position or it's two transfers if, of course, I need to, you know, let's say get a forward in from and sell my midfielder. That's quite easy to do. If you have that money spread out and you've got like a 7.0 defender and a 6.5 striker and you need to sell both of those to sell to upgrade your 7.0 midfielder to a 10.0 or whatever, like that, that's when you start to really dig yourself into a hole that's much more difficult to navigate your way out of. Fair enough. I just think, you know, you've got lights of you know, Greenwood, Gundogan, 7.5. Um, I'm not saying not to have any of those 7.5s. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of you saying that it would only be the premiums that you need to, you need to rip the team up for. No, I get that. But there are these players, as I said a second ago, who are hedged at a certain price where if they start going, the bandwagon is going to be quite quick. Violent, yeah. Um, so you've got that sort of, uh, that's why I was saying money in the bank could be quite useful, but I see what you mean as well about in terms of what you said about Son. So, Absolutely makes a lot of sense. Coronavirus, then. Obviously, last year we were preaching the ultra cautious three, even four benches. You know, do it because games could be called off, things could go absolutely mad. And a majority of Premier League players now are vaccinated. There will still be some impacts. We've seen a few friendlies, for example, called off. But I think it's going to be a bit better managed now with kind of everything being a bit more of a known quantity. I mean, touch wood, there will be no more sort of, you know, mad variants which are going to scare us all um uh, and there's also perpetual testing and better testing uh, that goes on especially in the uk um i would say that two bench players is probably still advisable i wouldn't be sat there with you know a 
two 4.5 million strikers and a 4.0 defender or anything like like that or you know having duds on your bench and just pushing all into the, the main uh, team. I know that most experienced managers won't do that, um, but I think it's still kind of something worth mentioning that two bench players in terms of, you know, having a 4.5 midfielder who's going to play or having, you know, 4.5 defender at least, who you know is going to be a 90-minute man, is probably going to be worth doing. Yeah, I, I do think it's a maybe a bit more of a problem than it's been hinted at and even Neil Warnock actually was discussing in the media the other day that it's a bit of a problem for him at Middlesbrough that the majority he said that's his quote of his squad aren't actually vaccinated yet and he's actually quite concerned at the fact that he's going to have 20,000 people around those players at a stadium and they're not vaccinated and kind of the chances that uh, one of them would and how it would bring down the whole entire you know squad would be a big issue and so it's it's not gone and we have definitely seen players coming back with uh, COVID and there being risks of outbreaks or worries about outbreaks in different squads and players going into self-isolation and things but I think an awful lot of that that happened this summer was because people players were coming back from holidays and international tournaments and all the rest of it and that's going to be washed out once they're into their kind of more COVID bubble it's not going to be anywhere near as stringent I would imagine as it was last season and in Project Restart but at the same time they will be much more insulated um, from now on and I just don't see it being as big a risk I feel like at this point COVID is in the category of unless variants and all the rest of it happens but as it as as it's yeah touch wood and everything that comes with it right now i think it's in the same kind of area as just another potential injury problem orange flaggable rather than red flaggable yeah and like if and if it takes out one of your players it's going to affect everybody else too probably certainly certainly well i think that actually segues us nicely into looking at our team death of game week one some rationale for the players, some critique maybe. Um, Anthony, you first. You want to read out your team and uh, you know give us a bit of a background here? Okay, yeah. So currently I have two goalkeepers, uh, as every squad should have. One of them, though, won't play. It's for, I just put in Virginia from Everton, but like that could be anybody. Uh, I have Sanchez still as my goalkeeper. Across the defence, I have Trent Alexander-Arnold. I have Ben White, Webster, Sierra at Watford, and I also have Dan Amarty. In midfield, I have five of them, and they're all playing. San, Fernandez, Jota, Sala, Elgazzi. Elgazzi. Yeah. And then up front, it's Tony, Antonio, and the soon-to-be on loan, Michael Obafemi. Yeah. Some Irish pride there. Interesting. No Shaw. Are you worried? No, no. I, I haven't had Shaw in, in a single draft all summer, and I'm, I'm quite okay with that. I United's fixtures are fine at the start of at the start of the season don't get me wrong but I'm much more concerned about not having Greenwood than I am about not having uh, Shaw in this side uh, United defence in general I just think there's going to be a little bit of uncertainty there Varane hasn't actually really joined up with the squad and got going yet he's not there yet so you don't have that kind of oh the United defence has totally changed feeling and so with that I'm kind of like oh we'll just wait and see and it'll come together and I wanted to put my money elsewhere in the squad Fair play um, are you happy with that Brighton double defence? No, no, I'm not. Actually, I really am. And um, I'm kind of finding myself in this situation where basically trying to get that five in midfield together has just sucked the life out of so much of the rest of my team. I have two playing players as far as on my bench, as far as we know, going into game week one. It's too tight and it's not something I'm too comfortable with. And I feel like this squad has to be kind of tinkered with to get away from that. Funnily enough, actually, Jota is actually the one who I think is most on the chopping block. And that's because just Firmino is clearly more back than we thought he was even earlier today. 
He's uh, played a pretty starring role in Liverpool's preseason friendly on the day we record, which is Monday. And that means that Jota is not as nailed. He is not anywhere near, but he's getting closer to what Bernardo Silva was a few years ago. And I just don't want to get burnt with that problem. So he may move across and become a bit of a cash cow to just strengthen up the rest of the defence. For example, with the likes of Luca Digne Mm -hmm. or with Ruben Diaz type character, just someone who is solidly there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to get into like a full-on critique, but one of the things that I did note from this is I saw Ben White was playing game week one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kind of thought, well, what are you going to do? You're going to keep playing him? I mean, the Arsenal obviously have Brentford in game week one, so it kind of makes sense. You have Tony, who probably, I don't know whether you'd be hoping Ben White also scores, um, but then they've got Chelsea and the Man City in two and three. Um, and then Sierra Alta, um, who you've got um, for Watford. I mean, they have Brighton in game week two and you've got a double a double up there and then they've got what the Tottenham in game week three. So it, yeah. there's no rotation there unless you're kind of hoping on Martin. I, I don't know. Obviously, so you've, got, you've got a lot of kind of um, tinkering to do. But what I, kind of think, well, hmm. I don't really obsess over um, teams playing against each other because I honestly like, who do I think is going to win in the Clash of the Titans that would be Watford versus Brighton? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and so to, for no, no. Yeah, it's entirely that, that, possible. That, that, that sounds like a 1-1 to me. Though. <laughs> it does sound like a 1-1, but if one of them gets a nil, then I'll get the points. <laughs> at least, you know. Um, they are, at the end of the day, cheap sure. players. And so it isn't the biggest deal. Yes, Tony would be playing against uh, White in game week one, but like the fact of the matter is that Tony's opening fixtures are all, like you know, he has five-ish pretty good fixtures in the opening weeks that make you tempted and White he's in there really because what he is is a 4.5 playing defender at a good defence yeah, yeah you know he's, he's he should be you 4. know 5, isn't he? yeah someone from a defence as good as Arsenal's should be 5 and that's why he's in there you know it's just yeah. he's a really easy pick to have in there and yes if he scores he's going to become like one of these hugely picked players he's already in 25% of teams yeah, he doesn't hurt to have he's going to be I'm going to have him in my squad no matter what I would say yeah the, the, the ward scenario or the Vestergaard scenario could happen with White if he scores. Um, I've got a couple of bones to pick with you as well. Where's okay. Alan? Where's That's Alan? A, yeah, so Alan went because I tried to get five midfielders. You've got they, I was... in over Alan. That's, that's unforgivable, isn't it? <laughs> El Ghazi. We see what I like there with El Ghazi, and I know that this is not going to be necessarily a popular pick with listeners. Okay, Villa have three good fixtures. Watkins is now um, an injury doubt for at least a game week, but beyond that, we don't know exactly yet at time of recording. Either way, it seems with Buendia out, I think that El Gazi will have his chance to play. He's on penalties when he's on the pitch, or certainly he took one while Ings was on the pitch the other day. That is helpful. And it's just a, it's a three-week punt, effectively, and he is a good price there at six that I can yeah, move no, him absolutely. probably actually to Willock. That's the one who I would see from this point out as an interesting no, pick. I've got a 6.0 punt point. as well, so you can, you can skewer yeah. me for the same question. Uh, but yeah. Callum Wilson, he's a bit hard done by, isn't he? If he's your he's man. By far, yeah, he's, he is the, the really hard done by character here. The, I think the thing with him is that I didn't necessarily want him for game week one, uh, and then oh. we're starting to move into the, the territory where Joe Willock is who I'd actually want coming in instead. And so it was like mm, my my one nominated Newcastle attacker would no longer be Callum Wilson, much as I do like him as an FPL pick and would like yeah. to have him in my squad. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you, you obviously sent me a couple of teams before we did this and the first team didn't have Son in, the second one does. Um, yes. Why has Son found his way in? 
Son found his way in because uh, we were laughing about this last week. He did well in a preseason game, Tom, and I just got scared. (laughs) He said it. Yeah, that's actually what it is. To be perfectly honest with you as well, what I think is quite useful about Son, and I I don't want to book in transfers and I don't want to admit that I was thinking this, but I'm going to admit it now, everyone. I have Son in this squad. He's holding the place there. I move him down and I take a punt on, let's say, one of the City guys going into this week yeah, or some other 7.5, yeah. some 7.5-ish character. Even actually Jota could occupy that spot. I know he occupies an independent spot right now, but he could occupy that going into game week one <laughs> against Norwich. And then it can easily move to Son for when the fixtures turn around. I don't think I want Son for game week one. I know I want him for game week three. I might want him against Wolves, especially if Wolves are bad in game week one. Yeah, and if Kane's back as well, um, then Lager tends to love high fullbacks. So Son could be very, very tasty indeed. Um, moving on then to my team. That's a nice little segue. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to similarities in a minute. Um, I'm in a 4-4-2 right now. Um, I've got Sanchez and Foster. I mean, Foster's not left my team, actually. Um, I mean, there's actually a core of uh, Sanchez, Foster, Shaw, Trent, Salah, Bruno and Tony um, who have stuck around this whole time. Goalkeepers haven't really changed, so Sanchez and Foster. At the back, I've got Alexander-Arnold, Shimikas. Sure. Sure, Anthony, sure. Uh, probably going to be owned by more than half the game. I can go with one. Oh, Shufal uh, and then Veltman is on the bench. And I've got um, Salah in midfield along with Bruno... Son, uh, Ben Rama, and uh, Brown Hill. And up front, I've got uh, Ivan Tony, Danny Ings, and Obafemi. And the 11 on the pitch in the 4 4 2 is Sanchez, uh, Alexander Ronald, uh, Shimikas, Shaw, Shufal. Um, in midfield, Salah, Captain uh, Fernandez, uh, the vice of uh, Ben Rama, and Son. And up front, uh, the two of Tony and Ings. And there are a few changes since last time for those who are keeping up. The big one, obviously, is Robbo to Shimikash. Uh, so I had a Robbo team last time. We don't know the extent of that injury yet. Um, he got injured last night, uh, so the 8th of August. Um, and Robbo said today on Twitter that he had uh, he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, so Shimikas, uh, is he no-brain territory? I don't know. Um, I don't mind if it blocks um, Jota at the moment. Um, but the key thing is, is that I need to have cash in the bank. So this team has... a one million in the bank as it stands because I need to be able to make sure that I'm not snookered by having a 4.0. Other things that I've done since last kind of time we looked at my team, uh, Luca Dean has gone for Schufel. So Everton at six and sevens when being thrashed by United. Before I kind of landed on a Matt Target as being a bit of an inclusion because of the ridiculous Martinez ownership. He's owned by 39% now, uh, Martinez, which is a bit, a bit crazy. Proper, uh, you know, Nick Pope versus Nick Note vibes uh, with him, I think, where you're going to have the engaged community on the Sanchez, and we're going to be hoping Martinez doesn't get a 10 pointer. Um, but a really good point by ever lucid and cold water wielding friend, Bernardo's Maldonado, who we, we will have on this pod. We've mentioned him a few times, he will be coming on uh, very soon. Um, he said that. You know, you're basically baking a transfer in, Tom. Um, and um, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> so I've been bigging up Shufal all preseason as a 5.25. So maybe again, I think he might be a good sop because I don't have Antonio here. 
and and I'm worried about Antonio. So maybe he and Ben Rahner will do the job. A uh, key data point for Shufal on the price pod. Without set pieces, he was in top five for defenders XA last year. More than one in five of the 45 chances he created were big ones. More than everyone in the Premier League except KDB and Kane. So I was a Kai Havertz devotee until recently. Um, when I did a Talisman Tales thing on Son, I reminded myself how bloody good Son is and how actually affordable he is as a third premium. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, though I'm aware it's slightly limiting, so I haven't got Jota, I haven't got Greenwood, I haven't got Gundog. I could revisit that because that's quite a scary trio that I'm overlooking there. Um, but I mean, habits-wise, there's the Kaku situation, which makes me doubt, you know, what's going to happen after game week one. And maybe it should be better to wait until game week seven when Chelsea have a good run of fixtures. But, you know, Son, you know, key stat, he was fifth for Talisman Fury points altogether. So fifth for attacking points altogether last year. Out of position in preseason I mean, and came back could help, actually. So last year, he's, he, he entered 200 club with Kane. People are just like, oh, you know, came back. Oh, that means Son is, is invalid. No, because last year he was in the 200 club with Kane there the whole time. And Kane is literally like having KDB in your side. Like that's yeah. what Kane is. Like that's, yeah. that, that is like the most similar player to him. I, I can't yeah. believe people are saying, oh, Kane's back or that poo-poo Son. No, it doesn't at all. Um, and uh, you know, Wolves game week two, Lager playing a high line for the defence, especially. Yeah. A couple of things I've done. Watkins has gone to Ings. I mean, Ings didn't get an airing on the price pod. His future was an up in the air. But Ings is an elite finisher school-wise. I mean, he's, he's outshot his XG by five throughout his career. And over the last two seasons, listen to this, uh, according to Understat, 34 goals from next year of 24. So plus 10 over the last two years. Just shows that that kind of Danny Ings finish that Carl Ank used to say, that kind of angle finish from the end of the box. Um, amazing. And the other, and the other one, ESR to Ben Rama. Um, ESR has turned to Brownhill because I've got a decent enough 11 for, with Shimakash in and I want that 1 million in the bank. And there's an argument to wait as well for them. For, uh, there's an argument as well to wait on ESR until the end. I'm still bullishing him this season. And so you know, what I said to you last week, Anthony, still stands. Um, but I haven't got space for him in this team because Shimakash could come in. Um, but Ben Rama works really well as a Riker as well for Antonio. Uh, so his per 90 stats of around two shots and two chances created per game last season are very good. Obviously, the Brentford stats I mentioned last season are very good. And there's an inevitable train going on. Uh, so Hindu Monkey is all over it, um, telling me that he could be well worth it at the start of the season. Uh, loads of Hammers fans are basically telling me that, you know, this preseason he's really kind of found his feet uh, for West Ham. Could be a season Pyatt-esque. So I'm happy to give him a go. And 6.0, that's a great price for that kind of endeavour. So I'm fairly happy here. Son actually could go for Gundogan. I could find myself in a Scrooge McDuck, 3 million in the bank or something like that for max flex. I'm not too sure what I do. And I'm not too sure about Son at the moment, but you're right. And that's the reason he's in that I'm assuming that something may happen or at least if he scores against Man City, then a rush could happen on him. And I'm happy with having those three premiums there. I'm open to critique. I'm actually kind of a bit perturbed. Your whole 15, honestly, just looks more balanced than mine, even though you've actually <laughs> not spent all your budget. And I'm just annoyed. I'm looking at it and I'm like, how does this work? Like, you nearly have the abacus out to work this out. Um, Ings is an interesting one. Um, and I don't have him in my squad just because I've kind of yeah. I felt like I was going basically what we've done is we have 
alternated how we're going about getting our West Ham and getting in our Villa. You know, I've gone for Antonio Nelgazzi and you've gone for Ings and Behrana. Like that's, you know, effectively what we've done there. Um, and obviously I've ended up doing it for a little bit less, but I do think that you probably have a much higher ceiling with the pair that you have versus the two that I have. Looking through that squad though, Tom, it's, it's, what's interesting to me is that you've spent much more on defence, or at least in my head, you're spending more on defence than I kind of imagined you doing. Like, of course, that's not the case. Like you had Robbo, I think, last week. And so all this has done is you've just spread the money out a little bit yeah, more and actually yeah. take and, and then put some of it away in the bank. So that isn't actually what's happened, but it feels like you're being at the back in a way that you weren't previously. Tony is actually the thing, and I, he's in both of our squads, and I just feel like this isn't something we've discussed at all. It's Have we group-thinked this? And it's, it's one that I've been questioning as well, because I've been worried about not having Antonio, worried about not having Wilson, and now I've got one million in the bank. I'm looking at Tony and thinking, you could be Wilson, you could be Antonio. Um, but I, mean, I still come back to what we said the other week in terms of the fact that He's got decent opening fixtures. He was involved in over 50% of uh, Brentford's goals in, the, in, in last season of the championship. They, as a profile of team, are more likely to get into sort of the lead sort of bracket than into no hopers sort of bracket. So the hope is going to be that front foot team is going to advance goals. And you could be hoping that Tony is going to be at the forefront of that. Um, obviously, he has been injured. He didn't show up in the last preseason friendly. Uh, but Thomas Frank actually literally addressed FPL managers. He was asked that in a question um, uh, from a reporter. Uh, what, what do you say to the X million managers who've got Tony in the team? He said, yeah, I'm sure he'll be available. There's very little keep him out of that Arsenal game. And um, so he's, he's going to be available. Um, and I think that it's one of those things where you kind of think, do I want to bet against Brentford scoring? They are a team who do score, who do play front for football, do bring the game to the other team the same way Leeds did. All evidence, by the way, I'm not just BSing. Do I want to go against that? No. 6.5, could it be worth it? Yeah, all right. I mean, even if it doesn't work against Arsenal, they've got a decent... It's the other fixtures. fixtures. This is it. There's a a good run there. Like Palace and Villa, I know they're both away games, but, you know, Palace, we don't know really what state their defence is going to be in going into this year. Obviously, it's a a really changed uh, year for them. It's a real transition for them. And then Villa, of course, it's it's a way. Villa were Villa obviously were good last season at keeping clean sheets, famously with Martinez. But at the same time, their underlying statistics were not particularly good, and they were being kind of carried by the giant gloves of Martinez towards the end of last season as they kind of limped back. It isn't necessarily a bad fixture for Tony that one either. And so it, this is it, Tom. I don't know if I have the appetite to bet against Tony. Funnily enough, like here I am betting against the Luke Shaw thing, but I'm I'm not sure if I could bet against Tony no, in the same way. I, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that the Timu Puki talisman hero um, of a couple of seasons ago, um, we, we know he loves the first half of the season. Um, and from game week five um, to game week 14, um, so 10 game weeks, they only play one team in the top four from last year at Norwich. And we know that, again, Daniel Farke sends them out on the front foot. Um, so if it doesn't work out with Tony... Um, you know, you're going to hold him for those kind of games. Anthony mentioned also maybe you know, Bryson in game week four. Then you've got an escape route um, uh, to Pookie in game week five, if needs be. But uh, it's one of those things where you know, Tony could either go up to 6.7 by Sunday, or he could be down to 6.3 by Monday. You just don't know. You just don't know. But it's worth going with. 
Uh, I don't think it'll be that crazy, but it's, it, I, th- I think it's something worth going with given the numbers that are there and the kind of team profile that we see with Brentford. Uh, let's let's kind of look at our teams kind of side by side here, Anthony. And obviously for viewers, you can see it. And for listeners, there are seven out of 15 players that are similar to the two of us. I wonder whether, I mean, I think that my team is actually fairly template annoyingly. Um, I, I've been trying to kind of you know, think, or you know, I'm going to take risks this year, blah blah blah. And even my independent thought, I've been trying to, you know, I, I've been kind of watching and listening to a lot of things. But <laughs> the team that I'm in right now feels very, very sort of like you know straightforward. Whereas I think yours does have a few. Uh, maybe you, if you guys are listening, you kind of thought this is quite different to what I the team that I put together. I mean, is, is this your kind of? objective for conscious differentiation we've come on to in second being writ large here it's part of it tom and i actually feel like i'm i'm failing people in my attempts to consciously differentiate like i really don't think i've consciously differentiated anywhere near enough with this team like it's i feel still at the end of the day anchored to the template and all i've done is i've you know kind of compromised around the pitch to try and get one extra template-ish player in. And that's all that I really feel. That's where, you know, the differences might come that, you know, I could have had a slightly more template team if I didn't basically put like the likes of Jota into my side and then had a more template defense because I was able to turn some of those 4.5s into 5s and 5.5s. And then suddenly I'm looking at a very similar squad to you. So I actually feel like I have not uh, differentiated myself anywhere near enough. But I also feel like circumstances have kind of forced me into a bit of an avenue where it's just silly to do so. That it's just, it just hasn't opened up the way it has. Like there was a point last week, I think where when we were talking about forwards, there felt like there was four, five, six, forwards yeah, that you could was, be picking from place, wasn't it yeah. Watkins injury I think pulled that thread completely out didn't it because Watkins mm. was like nailed no maybe not for you but for loads of people he was like him and Tony were the two no Watkins was nailed but then the Nacho question no longer became a question because he didn't start in the community shield uh, yeah, Calvert yeah, yeah, Lewin yeah. Um, turned out to be injured as well and that has yeah. put a doubt over him uh, Danny Ings has moved club and obviously made him an option but because Watkins went out he became oh on a bit more of a dead cert pick than your usual. I, I just kind of feel like the forward question no longer is as much of a question as it was. There was a point as well where Callum Wilson was thought to be injured and that was really kind of limiting the choices. And then some of the preseason performances have just meant that I wanted that triple up in the premiums and that has kind of meant everything else fell into place. Robbo being injured has changed the dynamic a little bit in that mm-hmm. there isn't this value sink there in defence, but... Broadly, Tom, no, I actually don't think I'm differentiated enough, but also I don't think I want to anymore. The, the City midfielder, I think, is the real point of difference that I could engage with. Yeah, um, I, I'm, but, the I'm the same. I'm the same. I've been looking at Son, and I, 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 I still believe, and I still understand, and I've, I've done, obviously, the Tasman Tales, Fred, on, on, and I called him out on the Tasman Theory article. I can still see myself taking him down to Gundogan because of the fact that Pep said KDB is injured. So Gundogan is feasibly going to play those first couple of games, if not more. And then I can obviously see, again, I completely share your kind of reluctance to book in transfers. But if I took Son out for Gundogan, and I assumed I wasn't going to make moves in game, games, game weeks one and two, I could have Gundogan for games one and two, cover that kind of Norwich fixture, and then have Son for game week three and four. The thing is, is that obviously I'm going to be captaining Salah probably one and two. Norwich away and Burnley at home. So 
I mean, do I care? Am I, am I going to be hiding behind the sofa, basically, and hoping Norwich do a number on City again? I don't want to do that thing where we try to predict Pep Roulette. And what I do is I break down all the reasons why I know exactly how it's going to fall this week, this time. But the fact is with Gundogan, KDB injured, as you've noted. Foden uh, also looks like he's going yeah. to be injured for a game week, if not two, if not three. It's, it's, it's a cheat code some, somehow. Uh, that's, and, that's, where, that's where I am. But, but, I mean, but Grealish but, is there though, isn't he? That, but, that's where, um, what confuses me a little bit. But add to the, oh, yes, the, the Grealish question is an interesting one, but I feel like just the way, this is where I'm starting to get into really subjective territory. I feel like with the way the city's defence works, it's quite a complex press and one does not simply just drop Grealish into it and make it work straight away. <laughs> add to this the fact that Gabriel Jesus and Bernardo Silva, um, Silva, we're 100% certain of, Pep has even said it, is a want away. And I just don't see them being relied upon because of that. And actually suddenly the options start to, kind of diminished to where Gundogan looks like he's perfectly fitting in this 7.5 size post box that is really tempting given what he did last year when KGB wasn't in that city side. Could Norwich <laughs> be a perfect introductory game for Grealish to do that job? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The final thing is our objectives. We spoke about this in our first podcast back and we uh, you know, laid them down. We said, we're going to do this and we are going to do this. We're going to keep to these throughout the course of the season. And these are things which I am going to be kind of putting up front from pod one onwards, just whatever is relevant. And we're going to be speaking about them. But I mean, we both kind of made objectives in our first podcast back, sort of, you know, work-wise professional objectives about what we're going to do for the season going forward try to keep to them and uh you know i've got three i think anthony i told you to get three and you end up with kind of 4.75 um which is obviously go classic anthony (laughs) but um i think they're all kind of you know they're useful things because hopefully there'll be kind of a thin red line as i said at the time uh, which is going to be something to kind of tie us back to throughout the course of the season anthony your objectives this year yeah, my, my 4.75 objectives, as you put it. Uh, the first one was basically captain sensible. Uh, it was captain with the herd or captain with the algorithms. And so basically what that means is early on, I'm just looking at Salah captaincies for a few weeks in a row. And I'm going to stick with that. That that goal is there. And kind of more crucially in there is that if there's a 50-50 decision between a forward and a midfielder, pick the midfielder. And that's basically off the point, the fact that midfielders get more for goals. And I just find that midfielders are where the value is year in, year out. Okay, yes, Kane keeps up with them, but I feel like the more dependable, quote unquote, captain picks tend to be in midfield. Transfers, just not to be afraid of transferring out elite players if they've dropped off. I'm going to really test that early, having Salah, Fernandes and Son on my side, because one of those has got to go pretty soon. And it'll be interesting to see if I can keep myself to that timings i've already uh, hinted at the fact that i won't be following this in game week one but i swear i'll get better after that uh, it's don't make transfers late 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 on a friday night or saturday morning now i'm talking about doing i'm <laughs> finishing up my game week one squad uh, relatively late in the afternoon on friday but my thesis deadline is 11 a.m on friday morning i don't want to think about it until then so i'm allowing myself this particular one after that transfers i'm not going to make them late 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 uh, from then on Play style then is kind of my, this is where the fourth and the 0.75 come into this. I want to start in game week one with a max of eight template players 
good luck with doing that. I'm not going to count the likes of, you know, dud players that I have on the bench. Like, we're not counting Foster as one of yeah, my this, templates. This was, this was a ropey one. I brought yourself into a corner when you were kind of I'm, like, I'm negotiating it hard here, Tom. I think mean, you end up with, like, Virginia as, as you've got. <laughs> I totally didn't the, do it because of Armati. You're not going to be doing Armati because he's, he's obviously going to play. Oh, no, hang on. I'm going to take him out. Um, that's 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 more of a, that's more of a supplementary sort of goal, isn't it? And if you don't meet that, then that's fine. And I think you got you got your three. These are two that you can probably get away with, which I can see why you've done that that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely negotiating this one down a little bit. And that we're talking about like starting players, <laughs> max eight of them, because I don't want to count. You know, okay, I did actually put Virginia into this squad that we were talking about in this purely so I didn't have Foster, so you didn't count one of them towards my template eight. But um, that's going to be very hard to keep to. I really feel like circumstances have narrowed me down on that, as we've touched upon already. And then I wanted to have a max of 10 hits in total this season with the max of one of those coming in the first five game weeks. I feel like that's going to be pretty doable because I plan to probably wildcard within those first five game weeks, which means that when I feel like the hit is coming on, I'll probably just go fully into the surgery at that point. So that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, no, that certainly makes sense. I think it's one of those that it's good to have that sort of overall sort of sense of restraint, I guess, on what you do. Uh, mine are a bit straight, straightforward, as I think I probably relayed on that kind of first podcast back. Um, but for those who didn't listen to that, um, the first thing um, based on my analysis of how I done last season uh, is captaincy. So captaincy has historically been terrible for me. Um, over the last sort of you know, four years, five years, been doing WCA, I've had a huge issue with my captains. So I'm going to abdicate responsibility. I've identified that's an issue. So I'm not good at doing it someone else can do it um, and uh, Mikel uh, Mikel Toxvam's uh, uh, captain the transfer algorithm you can find that on Twitter or whatever I'm going to basically do whatever that tells me to do every week that I can um, I maybe you will find some weeks that I can't get my number one pick but in the majority of the time I'll get number one if I can um, barring any silly moves you know if it tells me to sell Salah to buy whoever number one pick is I'm not going to be doing that but I'll do my very best to kind of follow that as far as I possibly can. Second thing, if there's a 50-50 situation, take the hit. So over the last few seasons, and over the last season particularly, what I found is that if I adopt a more aggressive style, I do better. So I have more points coming in. I have a good points per hit ratio. And um, next year, I'll be taking the hit if there's a 50-50 situation. And the third one is, you know, Anthony's style more ropey. What I'm going to summarise is take a chance on form, and um, I'm I'm sure Anthony's going to delight in kind of just saying why didn't you buy this guy, bro? And um, I'm going to try to buy him, bandwagon him players wherever possible, in the hope they turn into season long picks. Um, and this was based on the fact that last season I had basically ten men in my best eleven, like literally eleventh man in my top eleven point scoring players in my best team over the course of the year scored 29 points uh, that was uh, Craig Michael Dawson so I'm basically going to head that off and kind of saying well if there's a defender is doing well get him in otherwise he does something um, so that's a bit ropey um, but another kind of transfer sort of led thing going on there I have mm. a thought experiment for you with that one Tom go, go then. so we are now a week on from here both Tony and Ings have blanked 
but Antonio and Wilson scored. Do you feel that you need to make that transfer to one of them at least? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean under your vow under these objectives. I mean, like feeling the pressure. If it gets to two weeks, then, and obviously I'll end up following the crowd basically. But I'm hoping that obviously in in that sort of um, vein, there'll be those people who kind of go, can't keep this up. You know, I'm going to keep faith with my blah, blah, blah. I mean, I I think in the early game weeks, you've got obviously that focus upon what happens early doors i'm talking about you know like joe willock there i'm talking about lots of jesse lingard there the kind of players who explode later on in the year like danny ings josh king those sort of guys those are the guys that i'm hoping you'll be like well actually bro no this guy over the last kind of three game weeks has scored or even this guy over the last couple of game weeks has kept two clean sheets so why is he not in your thinking I mean, it's kind of like, I want to be uh, responsible, but I kind of want you to nudge me in the direction of kind of saying, well, well, I mean, this guy's obvious. You've been saying he's obviously rubbish, but he's been scoring points, so you need to get him in. And didn't you say in your objectives he was going to be coming in? The whole thing about doing these is trying to keep ourselves sort of accountable. No, I'll be doing the same for you. <laughs> and, and yeah, and feel free to tweet at us as well, uh, WGTA underscore FPL and FPL stag without any underscores or spaces to exactly. keep us accountable exactly. to them. If, if we've given this all up and we've uh, made mistakes, then do it. Right. I think that that is probably a good lot um, ahead of preseason. Uh, thank you very much for listening to all of our preseason kind of stuff. It's been very, very fun. Um, we've been planning it for god knows how long and i'm glad that it all came off well obviously the price pod was one of those things where we got a little bit as amply mentioned uh taken apart by the timing of that one so maybe we'll be one for the look at next year but overall um no we've been we've massively appreciated everything ever anyone has said about um, everything to listen to and um yeah thanks very much Yeah, yes, indeed. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to the few people who left a few reviews on iTunes. I just noticed we were getting the emails that quite a few people were doing it. So thanks very much. If you didn't get around to it and haven't done it before, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on that to help us spread the gospel that little bit wider. But anyway, thanks for now. We were Who Got the Assist. If you would like to have seen this rather than listen to this, you can now watch the videos on YouTube with a little bit of a snazzy PowerPoint presentation that Tom has prepared, which shows some of the visuals of what we've been talking about. But of course, we are still an audio first podcast correspondence. If you want to get it in, who got the assist at gmail.com. No spaces, no underscores, no nothing, just straight up who got the assist. Yep. And the minimally code to IP for a free tea. But in the meantime, we hope we assisted you this podcast during pre-season we hope you will stick with us uh, during the course of the actual season very glad to have you on board looking forward to a new year speak to you very very soon we'll be back after game week one to pick over the wreckage thereof goodbye and good luck thank you bye there we are now oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist Podcast Network.